Welcome to the official podcast of the Entrepreneur Summit. These are events that teach you strategies from the experts, lessons learned from the trenches, and connections to take your business to the next level. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Entrepreneur Summit podcast, the official podcast of the Entrepreneur Summit, an event focused solely on business growth for entrepreneurs of all kinds. And our inaugural event is going to be March 24th here in Dallas, Texas. And you can find the speaker lineup, all of the details, and of course, purchase your tickets over at EntrepreneurSummitDallas.com. Now, before we get into this week's podcast, I first want to thank our sponsors, because without them, this conference, this podcast, none of this would be possible. So first, thank you to Southwest Airlines, where we're based out of Dallas, Texas, the true entrepreneur story, if there ever was one. You, you can find more from them at Southwest.com. And also the Frisco EDC, the Frisco Economic Development Corporation. Uh, The event is technically in Frisco, just right outside of Dallas, and there's no greater place right now in the country to start a business than Frisco, Texas. So definitely check them out at friscoedc.com. Now, this week's episode I thought was a great segue from last week's because we talked to Charles Horton, and Charles has had massive success in all of his businesses, and one of the big differentiators he said last week was how he created a company of owners versus telling what you know people what to do he really worked hard to create a company of owners and I thought this was the perfect segue to Darren Martin because Darren Martin wrote a book called a company of owners and he travels across the country working with fortune 100 companies to teach them how to do just that so this is a really important conversation to have because if you're going to grow if you're going to scale You have to create a company culture, Uh, even if you're a person of one, start creating that. And as you grow, you can create people who are excited to work for you, who love their work, who, you know, can't wait to get out of bed every day to work, which is, it's completely possible, but it's up to you as a leader and a business owner to create a culture that cultivates that. So Darren gives us the goods this week. Like I said, he's got a couple different books. Go to our notes page uh, where you can get the details on where to get those. But we cover specifically on how you can create, no matter what your business is, no matter where you are within your business, one employee to 1,000 employees, how do you create that where employees are excited to work for you and giving you the best productivity they possibly can? So here is Darren Martin. All right. Well, I'm here with Darren Martin. Darren, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so excited about being on your show, Aaron. Well, I'm happy to have you. And of course, very extremely excited to have you on the stage at the summit on March 24th. I love the topic. I love the book. So can't wait for you to talk about this to all our attendees. It's going to be a big day. It is. It absolutely is. So what we're going to cover and today and what you're going to cover on stage is the whole concept of a company of owners. It's a book you've written. It's something you consult with, uh, you know, massive corporations all the time. So I want to first talk about, I think this is perfect because I just talked to Charles Horton. We, his podcast just went live and I know, you know, Charles and you know, he, he claims his success came from, you know, really turning his employees into a company of owners and making them have ownership in the company. And we all know how successful he is. So I think this is just like the perfect segue uh, into exactly how you do that because he's seen success. And so can you explain the concept of creating a company of owners and what it really means? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, and by the way, I was uh, speaking to Charles's group on Saturday. I had a really good time with his team, and you can tell that they're very invested. So, let's let let, let me talk about the problem real quick first. There's a Gallup poll a number of years ago that said 29% engagement rate at your typical U.S. company. That is abysmal. I mean, when you're talking about a third of your workforce actually showing up engaged, we have a big, big problem. So when I was seeing stats like that and then I'm interacting with companies and seeing just this, this malaise that's out there, just this, you know, kind of mailing it in mentality, uh, Either, Aaron, we've hired all the wrong people, which, you know, boy, we're in big trouble if that, that's the case, or there's something about the way we're doing companies that is just, you know, causing people to kind of check uh, what I think comes naturally to people, drive, you know, all of that stuff, just to check it at the door. So that's a big, big problem. Yeah. So when hiring and creating, how do you like, I know, so a company of owners is creating a, a group of employees who actually I don't, caring about the company is such a horrible word, but how feel like they have ownership in the company. Is that correct? Yeah. So I, um, you know, it was born out of a conversation I had with the CEO of a $20 billion uh, oil and gas company. I told him he need to fire all his employees and he, of course, was, you know, his response, Martin, what are you talking about? You know, we're going to fire all our employees. I said, listen, you don't want employees. You want owners. You want people who really act like owners. And in fact, that idea has really taken hold at that company. You'll hear that language kind of used around there a lot. But um, it's not, ownership is not about uh, whether your name's on the deed or not. It's really about a mentality that says, this is my house. This is my place. Uh, I'll give you a prime example of that. I was on a power walk the other morning and I came across, there's a construction site right across from my place and there was a cement truck driver. Okay. And this is going to sound like an oxymoron, but an immaculate looking cement truck. Okay. Right. Uh, normally they're covered. Right. And there's a guy down there and he is polishing up the rims on, on this truck. And so I just had to, I go over and, and asked him, I said, um, Hey, excuse me, are you the, are you the driver of this truck? And he said, yeah, I am. And I said, uh, okay, so what are you doing? He said, well, I'm cleaning the truck. And I said, yeah, but why? And I just was curious about what he was going to say. Uh, you know, management's watching, or it's our policy, or, but he got this real just miffed look, like, really? And he goes, well, you got to take pride in your work. And uh. I went, wow, whatever this company's doing, uh, they, they, they've, they've done it, right? They've given people um, a, a work environment where what they do really does matter, uh, Dimming's Edward Dimming said a long time ago, nobody goes to work to do a bad job. And I think that's true. People would rather go home at the end of the day, feeling like they've accomplished something. They did something significant. They played a significant role, what, no matter what their title is. And a lot of people are just, uh, going home, you know, frazzled and feeling like they accomplished nothing because of the bureaucracy or the red tape or management you know, all sorts of things. So I, I, I really think this is a path forward for companies. If, um, and some companies are very successful at, you got your, you know, Netflixes and, and, and Chick-fil-A. And I mean, I can look in just about every industry, there are companies that get it and where you see this kind of behavior, but there's a lot more where you don't see it, unfortunately. 
No, it's true. I could tell you a few companies I work for that weren't like that, but <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to talk about like I know this is a misconception, but I've I've actually had conversations with entrepreneurs who are hiring who are scared to hire too much of a leadership, too much of a forward thinker because a they're afraid of getting shown up or b they're afraid that these entrepreneurs or these employees will they're so forward thinking that they're just going to spin off and create their own company. Can you talk a little bit about why that's a bad way to think and, and a bit of a misconception? Horrible way to think. Horrible way to think. And unfortunately, um, okay, so I talk in the book about the two kind of, you know, employees. There's Stacy. Stacy's a go-getter. She's a forward thinker. She makes the company money, et cetera. And then there's the Crawleys. And Crawley is a zombie employee and it just lives to eat, lives to get a paycheck. The It is true that the Stacy's leaves the company to go start other companies. And if Stacy leaves to go start another company, what industry is she probably going to start it in? She's going to start it in, you know, the industry she knows. Right. So that is the risk you run. But the reason the Stacy's leave the company is because they're not being listened to. They're not being heard. If they're given an opportunity to, uh, to blossom, uh, many times they'll stay. And, um, you know, make the company a better place. Uh, we've got examples all down through history. Uh, do you know the name Steve Sasson, S-A-S-S-O-N? I may be no. saying it wrong. He killed Kodak, basically. Mm. Steve Sasson killed Kodak. And the ironic thing is he was an engineer working for Kodak when he developed the digital camera. And Kodak was having none of it. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to listen. They, you know, this is going to be bad for business as it, you know, ultimately was. But by not embracing what their very own, you know, employee was doing, just burying their head in the sand, they really ended up, they ended up going from what, 144,000 employees to I think now they're down to less than 3,000. Wow. So, smart, I always say smart people surround themselves with smart people. The best thing you can do is hire people who are smarter, better, quicker, faster, and then give them room to run, give them responsibility, give them, uh, you know, decision-making authority and watch and see if they don't, they don't take you across the finish line again and again. The trouble is when you hire people like that and then you try to hamper them, you try to keep them down, you surround them with a bunch of bureaucracy and a bunch of red tape that just, you know, disincentivizes them. And at some point they go, man, I can go do this so much better somewhere else. Yeah, very interesting twist on it. And I want to cover at the beginning, you talk about vision and how important it is as a leader to, uh, you know, your company culture begins with your vision. And I think this is so interesting. You talk about what a great leader is, and ultimately they're just a really great storyteller. Yeah. Can you explain that a little bit? Because, and, and how... How do you become? I know this is a really big question, but how do you become a great storyteller? Like, how do you twist that from do this versus let me be a storyteller? Okay, so there's there's actually uh, uh, a great quote in the book that I'm going to butcher, but in a company of owners, uh, it may be in whiteboard as well. But uh, don't uh, give people assign people tasks. You know, go get wooden nails. If you want to build a ship, don't assign them tasks. Rather, teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. So if you get people dreaming about that island they could visit, you know, hey, I was over there. It's amazing. The 
food's way better than our food, et cetera. People will figure out how to build a boat. But if you just are tactical, get, hey, go get some wood. Oh, why would we get more wood? Just go do what I told you. You know, there's no vision. There's nothing that people are excited about. And I do think great leaders are great storytellers. Um, they are able to incite vision for people. You know, uh, Steve Jobs was a great storyteller. Um, you know, you look down through history, whether it be politicians or people, yeah, um, you know, are, are able to mobilize people. There was a there was a uh, there's a great quote that I read about two orators back in the day, uh, way back in the day. But they said about Cicero that people would respond to him and say, uh, "What a great speaker he was." But they said when Demosthenes spoke, people said, "Let us march." It was that inspiring. So there's a big difference between uh, you know something that really motivates action in people. And people are motivated by vision. They're motivated by outcomes. They're motivated by being a part of something. There's a good reason that uh, fraternities, secret societies, uh, the Masons, you know, the military, what does it mean to be a Marine? Well, it means something, and there's a lot of pride in that. Uh, you know, when a Marine meets another Marine, it's a brotherhood, a sisterhood, it's a fellowship. Uh, of like-minded people, but because they've they've built meaning into it, and a lot of companies just have no soul. There's no meaning. What does it mean to be a right. part of this company? Eh, it means you get a paycheck, and you know what's significant about what we do. And and by the way, Aaron, it has nothing to do with the kind of product you're manufacturing. I don't care if you're making toothpaste caps. You can make that a great company and a great company story and something that people feel a lot of pride in. Uh, and that's a that's a leader's res- responsibility, I think, to set that vision. So interesting to me because, yeah, you're right. Like a lot of people want to work for the sexy corporations, right? Because they think that, you know, a Google, you know, everybody wants to work for Google, yet there's a lot of pride to be had in the basic. And I want to lead that into your stated culture versus the true culture of your company. I think this, I actually just heard this last week too at, while I was in an event. And a lot of people, they go through all of this hard work putting together what their culture of their company is going to be. Yet when you go there, it has nothing. It's like complete opposite. So Uh-oh. how do you make sure those align? All you have to do is go a couple levels deep and people will tell you that's nonsense. That's not what we do. Let me tell you how it really is around here. And I have that conversation all the time when I go into companies, you know, they uh, well talked to a law firm one time and they said, well, what are you going to do for our company? I said, well, I'm going to tell you things about your company you don't know. He said, how? And I said, well, I'm going to start by talking to the receptionist out there and interviewing her. I guarantee you she knows what's really going on. Um, and, you know, on rare occasion, there are companies that really live the stated culture. Uh, I, I mentioned Ritz Carlton in the, in the book. I think what goes on behind the scenes and what they say they're about is really the case. And you see it in the in the replicated services. No matter what rich you walk into, you get a, a consistent kind of service. Um, that's the one end. That's extreme. Uh, I mentioned Chick-fil-A. I'll mention another one, In-N-Out Burger. I think whatever they are about company culture-wise, they really represent it in their employees. There's, you know, I, I think Starbucks tends to be kind of in that vein. But then there's a lot of other companies where what is up on the wall what they say they believe and what they actually do are two vastly different things. And the bigger the gap, 
between the stated culture and the hidden culture, the more dysfunctional the uh, company is going to be. It's like a family that looks really great, all prim and proper when they're in church, but all hell's breaking loose during the week. You know, it's just this big disconnect. Exactly. You're praying for them throughout the week. Um, what about, can we, is this possible? So I know a lot of people who may be listening to this, you know, yeah, they may have a few employees, but they have to do some contractors in between two. They might not be ready to build a full team. Is this possible with contractors or does it, is it only work with employees? Okay. Well, I'm a contractor and I would say some of the companies that I work for, uh, I'm probably a bigger believer or a bigger advocate for change than some other people. What I tell, you know, there's always a lot of, uh, contractor hating. There was a CEO that I used to do some work for that called them blood sucking leeches. Okay. <laughs> so there's a way to inspire. Wow. There's a way to inspire your team. But, uh, in my experience, you've got, uh, you've got bad contractors. You've got great contractors. You've got bad employees. You've got great employees. It's not about the, it's not about the, uh, the title they're wearing. And absolutely you, you, I've, I've, I've met contractors, you know, manufacturing all sorts of different arenas that really take a lot of pride in their work. Uh, and if you think about it, if, if they're, if they're doing it right, they need to, because they don't get asked back. They don't get recommended. They don't, you know, it's not like an employee situation. So contractors, um, if they're coming through the door, they should have an understanding of what the culture is and, and be willing to, uh, embrace that. Uh, if you're really serious about it and, and, then it's in, it's important for the company to then treat everybody like a team member. There's not second class citizens. If you're this rank or if you're a contractor, then, you know, you get kind of substandard support. Uh, it ought to be an, an equal treatment for everybody doing anything for the company. Okay. Very interesting. And I want to talk about pay because as people are hiring, I think this is a big one. I'm with you when you write, you get what you pay for. Yeah. Uh, I'm a hundred percent agreement of that, but I love like how you gave tips and tricks. And I want you to talk about some of those. If you know, a lot of these, a lot of people starting up, a lot of people building, we don't have massive cash flow to maybe pay the top of the top. So how can you compensate that? How can you make up for that? So you're hiring the absolute best you can possibly hire. Uh, but maybe you have to get a little more creative on that. Yeah. Sell them on your vision. Uh, sell them on the culture. I, uh, my, uh, I've got a buddy of mine that, uh, his girlfriend, his fiance is considering, uh, she works in the school system and, and she is considering going to a different job. That different job would pay twice as much and would have better benefits. The reason she's considering not going, she loves her boss so much and she loves the culture in which she works that that would, you know, that's a pull for her. Wow. Uh, and there's a lot more than just pay for people. Now, obviously you can't, you can't not pay people and expect them to perform, you know, if, if workers worth his wage. Uh, but when people feel a part of something, when they have some decision-making authority, there's all, you know, uh, don't have a vacation policy, give them some autonomy, um, you know, give them more flexibility in terms of a lot of people in jobs. You can get as much done from home as you get done from, you know, having to be at the location. Uh, but have, have them do some things that help them believe in themselves. 
A lot of the workforce out there is coming in and nobody's ever really, you know, supported them or told them how great they are. I, you know, um, I was talking to a company recently and they take people who have done just sort of, you know, blue collar jobs and maybe don't have a great education and haven't ever made a whole lot of money. And they're coming in saying, hey, you're awesome. I believe in you. And it's amazing to watch those people rise to the occasion and really accomplish some pretty cool things. So there's all sorts of ways to to uh, make people feel great about being a part of the company rather than just paying them. Yeah, that's a it's true. A lot of people just, you know, I remember going to a company and I literally went from the top of my game. This is when I worked in corporate. I was at the t- I mean, I literally would say I need a job and people would be like Aaron, Aaron Aaron and I went from I went to this horrible horrible company and I have never had my confidence beat to crap. I mean, when I say beat to crap out of me, I literally in just 9 short months went from thinking I was invincible to questioning if I had any skill at all. So, it's you know, great companies build up people, great companies and so you know, to have that, I can see that being extremely powerful and it, it's, you overlook it a lot. I think a lot of people don't pat on the back enough. Like if, if nobody's saying bad things about you, you're doing well, right? That's yeah. kind of the perception. And what is your um, advice? And I know you talk about don't wait for a yearly review to give feedback. Obviously kind of patting somebody on a daily basis is a bit much. What do you recommend for giving that feedback giving those pats on the back and, you know, really pushing people to believe in themselves and, and be innovators. Yeah. So it's pats on the back. It's also people want to grow. And when you are, are willing and able to give constructive feedback that people to make people better, make them better as, uh, you know, uh, workers, make them better as people, uh, do a book of the month club where, uh, you know, you're reading some things I've recommended like Ted Tuesdays, have a Ted talk every Tuesday and bring lunch in and, but get people's brains engaged and get them, uh, you know, think about those things when there's a, I think this is in whiteboard, actually not a company of owners, but it's a little thing called start, stop, continue great management technique where you sit down once a week with your employees and then they get to do it on you as well. And you state, here's one thing I would like for you to start doing. Here's one thing I'd like for you to stop doing. Here's one thing I want you to continue doing, that you're doing great. Feedback, most people that I encounter out in the workforce are starving for feedback. They get the annual review. The boxes are checked. Uh, I've had people, had somebody, you know, have managers. This is more common than you'd believe, but just hand it to them. You know, if you have any questions, let me know. They don't even take the time to sit down and evaluate. And if they're doing that once a year at an annual review, you can imagine how much feedback they're giving them on a daily and weekly basis. So, you know, if you if you want the company to be better, you got to help your people be better, and that requires that requires communication. No, it's true. I've actually had jobs where I've literally just written my own review, and they uh, they either said thumbs up or thumbs down. Usually, it was thumbs up, but yeah, it's it's true. And I, one more question of enfor- like you talk about enforcing silo busters, finger pointing this is what we do. This is what you do. How do you do that in a company where instead of being able to quickly point the finger, not my problem, it's theirs. How do you create a a true team versus, well, it's us against them. Enterprise. I say in the book, enterprise, memorize this word, live it, breathe it, eat it. Um, It is huge. We have an enterprise and every part is directly connected 
and it we should attack with malice anytime there is siloing going on within the company. So you see this pretty common. Uh, well, the IT department or mm-hmm. the the people in accounting or the the people at headquarters. No, it should be our IT department, our accounting group. You know, our contractors. You even just language reinforces uh, an us them or this is our deal. You know, we're in this together uh, kind of mentality. And anybody in the company um, should be able to have access to and talk to anybody in the company, or quite frankly, out of the company. Now, barring trade secrets and other stuff, if if it's going to help make the company better. Uh, there, you know, I run into restrictions of, well, I don't want to step on their toes or, well, they're really sensitive over in that department. Well, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not the way it works on a high performing team. We need to be able to interact appropriately with each other and, and help, you know, get the ball across the finish line. I don't care how good a job manufacturing does. If shipping is three weeks late on the order, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, until we recognize the business as a, as a, uh, you know, t- finely tuned machine with all these parts functioning together. I, I talk about a body versus castle organization and whiteboard. And, you know, if you drop a brick on your toe, the hand, your hand is not going, well, at least it wasn't me, right? <laughs> the whole body's in pain. And that's how interconnected the company ought to be. It ought to be an organism um, like that instead of these disconnected parts that we see, these little fiefdoms that we see so many times. I love it. And I think it's just so crucial whether, you know, a lot of people will be, well, I'm only a team of, I only have three employees or for whatever it is, or two contractors, this is, that's the time to really start thinking about these things and how you're going to build to get the right team versus I'm going to hire and build and then figure all this out later. Uh Ah, no, I am so with you on that. Let's establish, define what the culture is. So you want to know how big my uh, business is? It's me. And I added a business partner a couple of years ago. And by the way, He's a rock star. Uh, he shows up, and many times people like him better than me. You know, that's <laughs> it's hard to imagine, Aaron. But I love that. I love that. I you know he plugs into some place, and the, and they dig him. Uh, but we were talking. We we had uh, three or four days together out of town working on a a client together, and I said, Hey, listen, we talk a lot about culture. Let's get our company culture down. What what's our What's our culture going to be? And there's just two of us, and we're both, you know, principal, you know, partners in this deal. But that's when you want to build it, not when, you know, you've got this runaway growth or success, and then now you're trying to stamp it on the back end. It's get it built, and then it will grow with you. Yeah, I love it. It's a great book. Um, I'm, I'm going to link to this book and then whiteboard. Is it whiteboard, right? Yep. Whiteboard. Okay. Uh, I'll be linking to them in the show notes, but if somebody wanted to get a hold of you and learn more about you, where would you like them to go? So they can go to Darren, D-A-R-E-N, rhymes with Aaron, but it's one R and an E, DarrenMartin.com. And then my email is just Darren at DarrenMartin.com. So they can either go through the website or come to me directly either way. Uh, it's fantastic. And by the way, Aaron, make sure to send me, I, I want to post uh, this show, repost this. So I want to, I want to get this out there as well. Love your show. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on and I'm going to include all that on our notes page. So Darren, thank you. We're going to see you on the 24th for sure. 
maybe before that, who knows, but, uh, for sure on the 24th and, uh, thank you for this book. It's incredible and incredible knowledge and, uh, can't wait to hear you give the whole lowdown on it. I'm stoked. We're going to have <laughs> such a blast. It'll be fun. All right, Darren. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Aaron. All right. Bye-bye.